Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. Thank you, Megan, for that reminder that the Bible is the place we find the Revelation of God the man, and he has given us a sufficient word, right? Amen. How many of you have, in the midst of your troubles, found consolation in the book? You've opened it. I trust you have as a believer and found there God speaking to you. It's a wonderful treasure we have. I encourage you today to take it and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for our time together studying the Word of God. We are in a series entitled, Called to be Saints. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we are today. Through the Apostle Paul, who writes or pens this book, that we are called to be uh, sinners redeemed by grace and changed in our nature, and God puts us on a new path of sainthood. Did you know that? You're a saint today, if you're a believer. That's the way you are seen in the eyes of God. We're in transition, of course, and progressive sanctification helps us move closer and closer. The day we shall be perfected. When we arrive there in glory, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, what a blessing it is to open the Word together, and I pray that today you would remind us of what will happen to us after we're called home in death. If that happens to us, and that eventuality happens uh, to us, Lord, I thank you for the truth that there is something after death. We get a glorified body, and as we look at that text today, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll begin reading in verse number 35 to set the context. And although it's a rather lengthy portion of Scripture and one that's often read at a graveside or a funeral service, it is very exciting, one of the great victory passages in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 35. But some will say, some man will say, How are the dead raised up? That's really the title of our message this morning. And with what body do they come? Out of the grave. Thou fool, Paul responds and replies, that which thou sowest is not quickened, doesn't come to life except it dies. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may be of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same, but there's one kind of flesh for men, another for beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There's also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, bodies of the heaven, bodies of the earth, but the glory of the celestial is one. The glory of the terrestrial or earthy or earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another in glory. We can tell that just by looking up at the night sky. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. The human body is weak, corrupt, sinful. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was the last Adam was made a quickening, life-giving spirit. We thank God for that. How how be it, 
that which was not first, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Praise God. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Pause for a second. If you are of the earth, never been born again, the Bible says you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And that's a reminder here from John chapter 3 as well. Neither doth corruption or perishable inherit incorruption. And then these verses of Scripture that I just love, maybe you've memorized some of them. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. You can mark it down. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible body shall have put on incorruption, the glorified body and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? You can almost hear the Paul, Paul the apostle as he's writing and almost singing these words from his heart. O grave, where thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. What a glorious future we have to look forward to. Well, this text of Scripture comes on the heels of a verse uh, found in verse 35, or a question, I would say, in verse 35. And here it is. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I've told you, if you've been around for a while, about a uh, dreadful summer night that we experienced in uh, a little town near uh, Thomaston, Georgia. I remember the summer of 1984. I was alive back then, a college student, and uh, there was a young man that invited me to Georgia. It was my first experience with the great state of Georgia, and I came, and we sold books. Door -door I don't know why we decided to do that. We thought there was a lot of money in door-to-door -door salesmanship, and we sold books door-to-door. -door. Kenny Turner was our leader that summer, and we connected ourselves as good Christians should, even while they're traveling with a good church on the weekends, and we were there, and after the evening service on a hot summer night in, uh, in I suppose it was close to the end of July in uh, near Thomaston, Georgia, we were out just having a good time with the college kids and some of the kids from the youth group, and uh, just kind of a, a gathering, an afterglow, we used to call it, and eating food and enjoying the summer evening air. And one of the fellows in our group was sweet on another. Uh, a lady there, and the uh, young lady, and so they were taking a little quick walk before we went back to our homes, and they were saying goodbye one to another, walking down the road right in front of the man's house where we were that night, and it uh, was no big deal. We saw them. We waved down. They were going to just walk up to the corner and back, and it was only a, a minute or so, a moment or two later, we heard 
the sound of a car just whisking past very quickly. And then what sounded like um, to me, and I can remember this sound as if it were yesterday, the car hitting a tree. And, uh, and uh, then there was a, a moment of silence and we thought together, maybe the cars run off the road. And, and then we heard this cry out of the darkness, guys, come here. Kenny had been uh, walking Karen along the side of the road. It was a county road in front of the man's house. And in the darkness of the night, a drunk driver came by, careened off into the ditch, caught her body, and carried it 50 yards, uh, depositing it in the middle of the road and kept on going. She was dead upon impact, and Kenny yelled out for all of us to come as quickly as we could, and the whole youth group ran down the county road. And I will never forget the scene. It was really my first face-to-face, I guess, encounter with a dead person. I'd been to funerals before, but this was different in that this was somebody I really knew well. And someone who had just moments earlier been a vibrant 21-year-old lady who had been speaking to us as a friend would speak to friends in the midst of that little gathering we had. And there she was laying in the middle of the road, her twisted, broken back. As we gathered around her and were in total shock, we realized that this was a question that we would all face. All of us would face, how could this be that one who's enjoyed life is now taken from us? And the next question is, when will we see this young lady again? And the truth was we would see her in just a day or two, a few days as the casket was wheeled into the church there and the church was filled with family and friends and lots of her young friends who came by the casket and shook her their heads as they thought about the injustice of this beautiful young lady whose life was terminated, snuffed out by a drunken driver who survived and ended up getting off with just a slap on the hand, involuntary manslaughter. And we thought, Lord, how can this be? We long to talk to her again. We long to have her back. We long for life the way it was. And so the question resonates with all of us in verse 35. Some will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body will they come? Well, that was a chilling and dramatic moment in my young life. And we have come to a text where there is a And we don't know who it is within the church that's asking this question. Paul anticipates the question, and I think that Paul probably knows the man who is asking the question surrounding the church. Of course, there in uh, Corinth, there was this there was this spirit of Gnosticism in the culture. That was really the template upon which or in which Paul. Uh, was able by the grace of God to bring a church to life. 
But there was this attitude that the spirit world was much more uh, which more divine and important and good than the material or physical world. And Paul started this chapter just by way of your reminder. He started with one of the most classic uh, illustrations and defenses of what the gospel is. And he says there are four evidences of the resurrection of Jesus. And even within the church, most folks there would nod their head in assent to that. Okay, if you say that Jesus rose from the dead, prove it. And Paul does. There's a living church where there was not one before. In the sordid soil called Corinth, there's a church. People were being changed by the grace of God. And Paul said, not only is there the testimony of your lives and my own eyes have seen him, but there's the testimony, the evidence of the authority of the word. It's been done just as God said. There's been a resurrection of our leader. (laughs) Christ himself came out of the tomb. So, how are the dead raised? Well, it's a miracle power of God. But there were some asking the question. We still have our doubts. There were skeptics within the church. How are the dead raised up, they said. And with what body do they come? I'm thankful for this chapter ends. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We could almost close our Bibles this morning with that great reminder and go home. Almost. Almost. Let's go ahead and talk about the passage for a minute. I think there's tremendous truths here. Well, I want you to know Gnosticism, as I mentioned, is a belief that the material world was evil. Spiritual world was good, leading to the belief that God of the Jews, Jesus, because he occupied a body, was inferior to other spiritual manifestations of God or deity. And uh, they had this, this, this almost this hardened shell to believe that Christ really, although he might have been God, certainly would not have ever been raised up again in a physical or a body at all. Because the body was bad. They were full of what I call intellectual fools in that area. The wisdom of men was so important. They had this idea, this, this idea that enlightenment came through this esoteric, mystical journey, this experiential journey into to nether, some kind of spiritual netherland where they, they communicated with the spirits and Jesus, maybe if he was God, a spirit of God must have come upon him at the baptism of John there of Jesus with John the Baptist. And then when he was crucified, certainly the God that was in him left him because what God would ever be connected? What God would ever be connected to this evil sort of material world? Especially choosing to manifest itself then after the resurrection in a, in a body again. So the question came from the skeptics mainly, uh, where, where is this why would God ever do such a thing? So this morning, a couple things together before we wrap things up. A foolish question refuted and a wonderful mystery explained. How can the dead be raised up? And almost with a scornful chuckle, they said, what body do they come back with? culture was steeped in dualism, as I mentioned, and Gnosticism, which uh, 
really thought very little of the body. They couldn't conceive of why our spirit would ever seek custody in our bodies once our bodies were placed again in the grave. Well, uh, Paul will begin to answer that with some wonderful um, illustrations of that. He says uh, there's a th- three or four things here that will really help us understand this. And he speaks to them. And by the way, verse 20 or 36 is not a compliment. <laughs> Here's the question, right? And he, he doesn't say as a, as a very tactful teacher, well, that's an interesting question. No such thing as a stupid question, right? No, Paul looks at those, I know he's writing, and he says what? Thou fool, you unlearned ignoramuses. And he starts by looking around at the template of nature. That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. And he uses a few illustrations from, of course, nature around. So much confusion about how the body could be raised in Corinth at the time. Some man will say, he's probably thinking of who it is. It's already bothering the church. He says, how senseless. You Greeks think your wisdom is beyond all others. The Bible tells us in this wonderful book that the Greeks sought for wisdom. They elevated their own intelligence. He says, you are educated beyond uh, your uh, own wisdom. You're wise fools. And so he offers these as illustrations of the principle of why God can take a body and transform it through death, and give it a new body. And he starts with the illustration of a seed and a plant. Seeds become plants. Let's read on, shall we? That which thou sowest in the ground is not brought back to life, except it die. You put a piece of grain or a seed into the ground, it dies, but then it comes to life. And that which thou sowest, verse 37, thou sowest not that body that shall be but bare grain, it may chance be of wheat or some other grain. You plant a seed and up comes a little green sprout. The seed dies and in its death it gives birth to a life form that's different. So in a sense, um, when we talk about resurrection of the body, it's not spiritually, at least in terms of the Christian, it's not reconstruction of the old. No, the old die, it dies, it decomposes, but it gives life to a plant that is remarkably different in a form directly linked to the seed itself. There is continuity, but it is vastly different. It is not exact identity. The resurrected form is not exact identity to the old. And so we have this truth mentioned to us by way of illustration. Every farmer knows this. They plant seeds and expect what? More, greater, better, different. And so he refers to the life cycle that all of them in that culture that was so connected to agriculture would know. He says, it's not a big thing, is it, for God to take a life, a corruptible body, and once it is placed in the ground and it knows, it's put its trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's claimed by Christ. That seed, that human body is planted in the ground, but when it comes up, it will not come up exactly in the same form. There was a man in our first church in Indiana 
Um, just kind of lived out in the country, and I've always been a, a lover of, uh, of planting and seeing gardens grow. I guess I get that from my dad. He had a big garden all the time, and, and that brought us kids up to hold those long rows of potatoes and all that corn and tomatoes, and I have a, a real passion for a good tomato. How many of you like a good tomato sandwich? That season is coming, right? Well, our first church is Philip planted a tomato garden almost exclusively with tomatoes. I would visit him. He was getting up in years. And as a young pastor, he would take me out to his garden. And he had the most unusual-looking tomato plants that I've ever seen. Big, broad leaves on these tomato plants. And he said, this whole garden here is open-pollinated. We have one kind. He said, this seed has been in our family for, for years and years and uh, so I said, okay, whatever. But then he took me into the house and he sliced the tomato up. And it was the sweetest. You know, some people say, I like my tomato to have a little bit of a tartness to it. This was the, almost a fruit-like. He cut me a big old slice, got two pieces of white bread out, a little mayo. And that, that tomato slice changed my life. <laughs> when I was done eating that tomato sandwich, I said... Sir, if it's okay, could, uh, could I have some seeds from your garden? And sure enough, he told me it's, it's really a German variety. I didn't know a German tomato from a Spanish tomato. It tasted good, so I saved those in a little matchbox. And when I moved to the next house, I took those little seeds with me, and I lost them somewhere on my third move. And I've never been the same since. I've been looking for that special tomato plant, what I'm saying is a, tom- a, a, a farmer plants a seed, but he expects a harvest of something greater in scope, better, more. And, and Paul is saying to those in Corinth, you're foolish to think that resurrection isn't happening all around you. <laughs> God is able, in plant life we see that. It starts as a seed perhaps that we put in the ground. Or a bare kernel of wheat. In fact, verse 37 could be rendered this way. If we say it, excuse me, and what you sow is different than what comes out of the ground. That's basically it in a nutshell. And what you sow, what you put in the ground, will be different when it comes out of the ground. Its final form is much greater. And so our future body, our future bodily resurrection, what is planted in weakness and in corruption will be greatly different in form than that which is resurrected. That it will retain its connection to the original in identity. We will recognize each other in heaven, but we will be perfected. Amen. I don't know what that looks like in, in all of its entirety, but we will be different. We will have new and glorified bodies. We will not be floating around heaven in unveiled spirits. Uh, all looking the same. God will clothe us with a glorified body that is able to do things that you cannot do today. So that's the first analogy, seed to plant. And today we, of course, have a natural body. It's not fit for heaven. Our resurrected body will be. It will have properties unknown to us today, able in many ways to go wherever we want to at a thought, perhaps and to be free from the constrictions of our body we know today. So the second analogy then, 
from the seed, he goes on. He talks about the different various life forms. It's, uh, there's a vast difference in flesh types or, of course, in bodies that God created. Verse 39 tells us that. Chapter 15 and verse 39. The Bible says, All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. What's he saying? He's saying God has the ability, don't think it beyond God's ability, to create different types of flesh, different types of bodies. God can do that. All you have to do, Corinthians, is look around. God is able to create all kinds of variety. And here Paul is way ahead of science. He reminds the folks of Corinth of an obvious reality. The human body has a different cell structure than does the whale or other fish, a horse, a tiger, or bird. God here has already demonstrating the ability to create varied life forms. The point Paul is making is simple. You ought to know that God has the wisdom and power to create with great variety different forms of bodies. Why do you think it's strange for God to change our evil, our corrupted, our unredeemable sinful body, those of us who are believers, into something new at the last trump? Don't think God can't do that. It's not beyond His creative ability to do that. I look forward to that new addition, right? I know we all do who are believers. He, uh, of course, when He some of you might be thinking, well, maybe verse 39 means that there's a chance that my dog will make it to heaven. No, I just want to set the record straight. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying there's a vast variety. There's a great difference between, of course, men. There's a vast difference between men and the created animal world. So he talks about the difference that comes from various life forms. And then he uses another analogy, stars and planets. Look at verse 41. <clears throat> there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and one star differeth from another star in glory. <clears throat> May I just say that reading through these verses, often I've read them at funerals and I've not really been fully uh, comprehending or comprehensive of what is going, what Paul is defending here. And often I scratch my head and say, what does that all mean? <laughs> but Paul is just saying God has a great ability, doesn't he? To, to, to take one life form, <clears throat> keep, its, keep its identity, but on the other side of the grave, cause it to blossom and bloom into another life form, still retaining its recognition but uh, making it anew and fresh into something spiritual, eternal. What a glorious thing this is. And Paul says, all you got to do is look at the heavens, even without telescope. And you can tell that stars vary in brilliance. Uh, I'm told that that's partly not just distance, but the, the temperature of the star varies. Causes it to have, you put your eye behind a, a great, a good telescope, and you can see these stars uh, have different hues or colors based on their temperature. And there's just amazing truth. And Paul is saying, if you don't believe the Bible, look around you and know that God is the God of resurrection power. We are told that the celestial objects, and remember Paul is addressing the skeptics here, have a great ability to remind us that although 
We look in the stars and we say there's great variety there. And the star itself is a, is, a, is a source of light, whereas those planets that orbit around the stars reflect light. And we can tell that by how we look up at the... Um, we can look at the moon, right, on a good clear night and appreciate that. But I want to tell you, don't try to stare at the sun very long at all, right? Because it is just radiant. And so the, the Lord through Paul's pen here is telling us, understand something, there is a tremendous difference in the glory of these celestial objects. You, 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 may, you, may, you may be put, put under the ground, but when you come up, there's a tremendous ability God has to give those who are His saints, the shining stars in glory, a great luminance or a shine, and we will be clothed in light up there. Remember what happened to Moses when he hung out with the Lord for 40 days? When he came down from the mountain, no one could look at him. But we will be given a glorified radiance when we approach him, when we see him. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there have been three illustrations from nature. First, look at seeds. They're planted in one form, raised in another. Look at created life forms. They have a variety of bodies to fit their environment. So the saved one day shall be fit for heaven. We in these bodies would never be fit for heaven. And the converse of that, the other side of that coin is this. Those that are not saved, those that do not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior will also be given new bodies that are fit for hell. You could never survive the fires of hell and the body you currently have, but there will be a new body given to you that will survive forever and ever the rigors, the heat of hell. So our new bodies will reflect the glory that is in heaven and be fit for heaven's radiance, glory, brilliance. Be vastly different in form glory uh, than our earthly radiance, shape, and form. I think this is interesting to think about, and Paul addresses the foolish questions around him with simply three illustrations from the natural world. God is able to do a great work in resurrection. And then, at the end of the chapter, he simply takes this mystery that he talks about in verse 51. Behold, I show you, <laughs> I explain to you a mystery. And how does he do it? Well, you might want to underline this in your Bible. He simply says this, we shall not all sleep, some will, but all of us, here's his explanation, what? We will be changed. He talks in verses 41 through 50 about the old man, the corrupt man, the human body, with a regenerate spirit put into the ground. We're going to leave corruption, perishable things behind, and we'll be raised in newness of life, glorified bodies one day to spend eternity with Him forever. So verses 42 through 50, he is simply describing the mystery of what happens the moment a believer's spirit is delivered from his mortal body and more specifically, the moment when he is given the glorified body in verse 52. In a moment, I like this. Don't you love this little phrase? We don't even have a 
time signature for this little spark that comes from the human eye, the twinkling of an eye. God won't have to work us over. (laughs) In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, the dead shall be raised. We're talking about the rapture of the church, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Last week we talked about the last enemy, death. Revelation tells us towards the end of the book that at the last, uh, God will take Satan, death, and hell and cast them into the lake of fire forever to be bound there. But we're talking today about the moment when we shed these bodies, these human bodies, corruptible bodies, and we are raised again. 1 John 3, 2 says, We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We'll be changed like a seed to plant, like a man in comparison perhaps to a bug, like a star is to the moon. God will give us newness for the place called heaven. Glory of heaven requires this. And Paul describes the mystery of our resurrection with contrast sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. No batteries needed in heaven. Your glorified body will be that um, body that God issues to you for all of eternity. It never wears out. No more mourning aches in the back. You will transport yourself there, as I mentioned, without a thought. Like Christ, walk through walls. You will have strength to accomplish service and tasks with spiritual grace and power and delight. We will know you. Uh, We will recognize each other. There will be that continuance of identity. But you will have a new body on the basis of this. If you're a believer a new body for heaven. Think of it. We shall be like Him. Not God. We will not be gods. But God-like. We shall see Him as He is. Glasses will fall. Hearing aids hit the ground too. Crutches also together. All the cemeteries of the persecuted, martyred, age-weakened saints will become the rising fields of the promised perfection. And then... Hallelujah, with a new song, we will sing in perfect harmony, worthy is the Lamb. And I do believe, independent, fundamental, Baptists will dance. In a purified, glorified, holy desire and thankful gratitude for the God who makes all things new. You can try to stop me if you want to, but I'm going to be dancing on that street. We're singing together. The first time, no choir has ever, I don't think, sung perfectly. But that choir will. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And we shall enjoy together with our glorified bodies the one who is the glory of the new Jerusalem. Singing as we cast one final 
last look at the earth receding behind us. O death, we shall laugh together and mock. Where is thy sting, grave? Where thy victory? The earthly no more has hold upon us. Sin is now conquered, the law fulfilled and canceled by Christ. O happy condition, hearts made free from the law, driven by the holy passion of service alone to the one we worship. We rise above the chaos and the chains of this life. We rise to the throne of God on glorified legs, arms and voices. We soar above to a place prepared for those that love God. No night there, no sin or sorrow, sadness or sickness. We're singing together, glory to God in the highest, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The question as we close is simple, will you be there? Uh, the verse 50 tells us that unless you're born again, <clears throat> you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Yours, my friend, will be a final destination in a place the Bible calls hell. Or yes, there too you will have a body fit for the heat and the flames for all eternity. So make the decision today, my friend, to be part of the heavenly band. Those that have been redeemed by the grace of God, respond to the wings in your spirit. If you've never been saved, this is your hour. Do it today. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.